You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Before I uh, really begin and launch into what I want to say about this passage, uh, just to sort of some initial thoughts that when I reflected on what I was about to preach on this weekend, a little bit of uh, trepidation in light of uh, what's been happening in our country in the wake of uh, Charlottesville, um, because chapters 9 through 11 in Romans, if you don't realize, there's a, a big chunk that's a discussion of Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ. And if you take a passage like today's out of context, it can seem um, Um, sort of strange and almost racist, but Paul is no anti-Semite. If you read all of chapters 9 through 11, you see that quite the contrary, that Paul is in grief uh, over Israel, his uh, fellow uh, 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 Israelites. And the second point I want to make is I want to be clear that, you know, I as a pastor personally condemned the, the racist behavior, whether it's organized or otherwise, you know. Uh, racism is is not only sinful, it's often idolatrous uh, because it places our hopes in all the wrong things, things that uh, are going to get us nowhere. It's, it's a false god. Um, and this is not just a black and white thing. You know, uh, watching some videos of what's happened in the last week, there are some uh, things that are anti-Semitic also. Uh, related to what I want to talk about tonight. Uh, for example, the chant, Jews will not replace us. I heard other disparaging remarks that people were just saying off the cuff and uh, different uh, news coverage about Jewish people. And this is uh, not to mention the sort of blatant co-opting of Nazi symbolism, uh, which ought to be condemned. And the Christian church and evangelicalism must be clear on this point. Anyone claiming uh, racism on Christian terms is an error. And I've seen that, you know, relating the things that uh, they're saying that are racist with Christianity. And this is just plain wrong because God's plan has always been to reconcile all nations to himself, all nations uh, to himself. Uh, And uh, indeed, in Christ, as Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And as Christ said himself, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And again, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And not only that, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And finally, and finally, if you read a book like Revelation, uh, you get the vision of the new heaven and earth, which is a multinational and therefore a multi-ethnic environment uh, in all of eternity. Let me say that again. The new heaven and a new earth, eternal life, is a multi. the vision of it is multinational and therefore multi-ethnic. And if you don't like this, then you are not prepared to spend eternity with God and his people because that's what it's going to be like. So anything that claims to be Christian and also racist just is not biblical. Uh, you haven't been reading your Bible. 
Um, and so those are my preliminary thoughts before I want to get into this passage, which uh, does talk about the nation of Israel. And again, as I said, Paul is in anguish. He's grieving. And this is the end, uh, chapter 11, of a three-chapter pa- uh, three section, uh, chapters 9 through 11, where Paul discusses how Israel, God's chosen people, have rejected Christ, that is their Messiah. You know, what do we make of that? That their Messiah has come and, and they have rejected them. In the end of uh, chapter 8, really, which is right before this section, uh, Paul explains nothing can cut us off from the love of God. Uh, remember that uh, uh, no, nothing can cut us off from, from God's love for us. And then he begins chapter 9 by explaining, on the other hand, he's in anguish over Israel. It seems to be kind of paradoxical. And the underlying question that Paul is responding to throughout uh, this three-chapter section, which he repeats several times, is what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Uh, if this is happening, somehow does that mean that God is unjust? Because according to our own wisdom, looking at the surface-level details, it might seem that way, but as Paul says with an exclamation point in the English, by no means. Uh, human, by human wisdom, it would seem that God is unfair. But by God's wisdom, uh, what he does looks like folly to us. God's wisdom looks foolish to mankind because it's often coming through the things that we least expect. You know, strength is found, for example, in weakness. Um, so we just can't understand often how God is at work. And there are two other major themes throughout this whole section, these three chapters. There are other themes. There are other themes. I'm ignoring some because I don't have enough time. As a matter of fact, I feel like this sermon's going to be too long, so I apologize. But there are two themes that I want to uh, really pick out, which is this, that God has hardened the hearts of some. That God has hardened the hearts of some, and that includes some of Israel. Yet, when it comes to Israel, uh, there is a remnant that will be saved. He's hardened the hearts of some, and yet a remnant will be saved. And then uh, we get to chapter 11. The problem with the lectionary with Romans uh, this summer is that it skips over some uh, bits. And so we haven't had the beginning of chapter 11 where Paul explains that remnant of Israel that's been chosen for salvation. Uh, Some, perhaps many, of ethnic Israel will return to God. Uh, even though, uh, as the question, the rhetorical question behind all of this is, what about Israel if they've rejected Christ? He, he's reassuring that a remnant will return. And this, by the way, is not the first time that God has preserved a remnant. Uh, Paul cites a story when Elijah assumed that he was the only faithful person left in all of Israel, uh, and then uh, to only to learn from God that God has preserved a faithful remnant of 7,000 people And this is good news to Elijah. It gives him hope because he's not the only one left. He's not the last man on earth, as it were. There's still a remnant of faithful that he doesn't even know about. And then the portion of chapter 11 before our passage today is a real interesting analogy that Paul gives about an olive tree, which symbolizes Israel. I mean, if you have a Bible, uh, there's some in the pews. You can kind of follow along with, track along with what, what I'm talking about here. Um, of course, our passage uh, begins uh, with verse, uh, uh, excuse me, 25, 
But before that, you see there's this analogy of the olive tree, which Paul is giving. And it's the tree has been pruned, and some branches representing Israel, Israelites have been removed, therefore. If the, the tree itself is all of Israel, some branches have been removed. And if that's true, and if Gentiles who, who are wild branches from another tree uh, are able to be grafted into that tree, then to the original branches that were once cut off uh, can also be grafted back even more naturally than the wild branches. Uh, so if the Gentiles could come in, if, if after Christ we're seeing a movement of Gentiles becoming God's people, if that's true, then it can be true for Israel as well. As a matter of fact, even more naturally. And then we have today's passage, uh, which picks up on that analogy of the olive tree and expands on the theme of the hardness of heart. Just as God had hardened the hearts of people like Pharaoh in the past, uh, so God, too, is hardening the hearts of some of Israel, uh, causing them to stumble, putting them in a sort of stupor, not having the eyes to see or the ears to hear the truth, at least uh, not yet and not for now. Uh, uh, But unlike Pharaoh, whose hardness of heart seemed to be permanent, the hardness of Israel's heart seems to be temporary. Paul uses the word partial. A partial hardening of heart, if there could really be such a thing. Um, And and the the reason for this, which is real strange, is that this hardness of Israel's heart is allowing the Gentiles to come in, is allowing God to be in relationship with all the nations. It's something that we might not be able to understand by our own wisdom, but in God's economy, that's just how he's working, Paul explains. Um, And... uh, there, uh, there are two, uh, two sort of final thoughts that I have about, about all of this uh, from these three, pa- these three chapters in um, uh, Romans chapters 9 through 11, and especially this passage. Some two, two final sort of expository thoughts when I'm thinking about just this passage in particular. Uh, Paul returns uh, to where he ends uh, chapter 8. Remember that nothing can cut us off from the love of God. And here he provides the reassurance that God keeps his covenant promises. Just as he's made covenant promises with Israel in the past, he will keep them. He he had a a promised covenant of grace with Abraham, which he is keeping. And he also uh, has a promised covenant of grace uh, to all that would hear the message and their hearts would be changed through Jesus Christ. And these promises are irrevocable. Um, with all that we have in mind about Israel from chapters 9 through 11, knowing that the promises that were once given, we have the reassurance that they will not be taken away. In the same way that he ends chapter 8 with a climactic explanation that nothing can take us away from the love of God, he ends this three-chapter section again with a sort of uh, doxology, exclaiming uh, the goodness of God, praising God over these things, these things that sound so strange to us. Uh, Paul praises God's wisdom, uh, which might look unfair and foolishness, uh, foolish to us, but is infinite wisdom and mercy in God's economy. Now, here's the helpful thing that I think we need to understand about how God works, uh, how God works uh, through salvation. And I realize what I'm about to say uh, is difficult for most Westerners, 
uh, including Americans, to, to understand and accept. I realize that what I'm about to say, especially if you're skeptical of religion in general and Christianity in particular, uh, which I totally get, uh, that what I'm about to say sounds strange. Uh, and I also realize at the same time that even uh, most Christians uh, don't understand or like what I'm about to say, and it's this. All of us, without God's intervention, are not only destined to damnation, but we also deserve it. That all of us on our own, without God's intervention, are hell-bound, and not only that, we deserve it. Um, on our own, without God doing anything about it, all of us deserve this destiny. 100% across all of human history, from Adam and Eve until now, and everything in between, including the nation of Israel, and anyone God has chosen for his work, uh, all undeserving of relationship with God, on their own. Uh, and, and like I said, nobody likes to hear this because it sounds, it sounds terrible, right? I mean, it sounds totally negative. Aren't you so glad you came to church tonight to hear something like that? Uh, but that's, you read the Bible. You know, I mean, that's, that's basically the message there. Uh, and well, here's the kicker, though, to all that, what, what I've just said about the way God works in terms of salvation and what we are destined for without him. That all through human history, God has chosen some to save, to sort of uh, pluck out of the path toward death and uh, eternal distortion. That he chooses some out of no goodness or merit on their own, just because he wills it in his own sovereignty. And that explains his relationship, for example, with the nation of Israel. I mean, why choose Israel? I mean, there was nothing special about them. As a matter of fact, there really was nothing special about them. But he chose them because he just decided to. And the same is true for anyone he's chosen to work through. For example, Moses, I mean, just think of Moses, David, and Paul. I mean, there were three of them, what? Murderers. Before God decided, I would like to make you someone that I'm not only in relationship with, but I'm going to work through uh, for the sake of ministry and sharing the message about me. You know, he, he uh, chose uh, uh, Noah and his family out of the crowd to save from the flood uh, just because he decided to. He chose Abraham and his family making an irrevocable promise just because he decided to. And uh, he even decided to save the Gentile nation of Nineveh through the ministry of the reluctant Jonah uh, just because he decided to. And he sent prophets like Isaiah to explain uh, that the God of Israel is also the God of all nations. And he would bring all nations to himself eventually, as I said earlier. And none of the nations are special on their own. It's just that God in his sovereignty decrees that these would be his people. And finally, and finally, he sent his son as the ultimate emancipation proclamation, opening up the floodgates to all the people of earth to come to him. Now, you might say, uh, well, why doesn't God save all? You know, uh, if you're skeptical about all that I'm saying, your question might be, why doesn't God save all? Why isn't there universal salvation? And look, I want to believe in universal salvation myself. But the Bible doesn't allow me to believe it. Uh, but I take solace in knowing that none of us deserve to be rescued, and yet he rescues some, and, and not just some, but many. Uh, none of us deserve the rescue, and yet he decides to rescue some. And meanwhile, I also know that my impulse and your impulse in terms of that thought is based, again, on human wisdom 
and not on God's wisdom, which looks foolish to mankind. And many people might ask about uh, people who they love who are not believers when hearing something like this. You know, how could God allow them to be abandoned to eternal destruction? And I completely empathize with that 100%. But let me say uh, several things about that thought. First of all, I myself was one of those people. For the first 25 years of my life, I thought that anything that I'm saying up here was crazy. Not only that, if I were in your place, I would have left by now because I would have hated my own guts, that stupid preacher preaching that stupid, hateful message. I was one of those people. And yet here I am. Something happened. God decided uh, to bring me to himself and to completely renew my mindset about the way the world works. And if there's hope for me, uh, there's hope for many more people who are not only just as far off, but even further off. And the third thing I want to say about this point is that God uses others to bring them into relationship with himself. And that might be you. You know, if you're having that thought about someone you love or someone you know who's uh, not a believer, God might be using you to bring them to himself. Chapter 10, which I haven't really mentioned yet, in this sort of three-chapter passage uh, portion of Romans, says this. Paul says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? If you're concerned about certain people who do not believe, then take this passage to heart. Uh, It's not just for professional preachers. That word is confused. But we're all, anyone who believes this is a preacher of the gospel. Uh, We have the opportunity to proclaim this good news. And as Paul says, uh, uh, and they must be sent, you know, if you haven't yet been, I now commission you. You are sent to share this message with anyone who does not believe it, uh, who uh, you have is in, within your sort of sphere of influence. And finally, um, though, you might stop to think about what this means for you. It's so easy to take all that I'm talking about and sort of launch into the abstract, you know, about Aunt Susie or the person I share a cubicle with at work or um, somebody in tribal Africa who's never met a Christian before. It's so easy to go there. But what about you? You know, stop launching into the what ifs. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps this message is for you as well. Um, and, but perhaps uh, you already believe. You know, praise God. If you, if you are totally buying into all that I'm saying, double down in all of it and pray in thanksgiving and rejoice over it. But maybe you doubt. Uh, and that's a great place to be, wrestling. If you're still here... And unlike me, you know, 15 years ago, who would have walked out by now? If you're still here listening to this, pay attention to that. You know, you're here in a church, and that wrestling is a good place to be. You know, find a Christian who believes all this stuff and spend time with them. And maybe even pray and ask God to to open your eyes and unstop your ears to, to hear the message of the good news of Jesus Christ and to believe it. Just a a final thought, sort of circling back to all that's happened in the last week or so in our country. um, We now see the hardening of hearts of the new Israel, and that's the Christian church. 
Just as Israel's hearts have been hardened, as we see here in Romans, it's apparent that some in the Christian church have hardened hearts, and that's been on display. Uh, Some claiming to be Christians, as I said, are actually believing in false idols. Um, But did you see the video of uh, uh, the father of Heather Hare, the woman killed by the car in Charlottesville? Uh, just a couple days after she was killed on the sort of pedestrian mall there in Charlottesville, Mark Hare, her father, said this in a video. My thoughts on all this stuff is that people need to stop the hate and they need to forgive each other. I include myself in that. In forgiving the guy that did this, he don't know no better. You know, I just think of what the Lord said on the cross. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, I hope all this stuff that is coming out isn't twisted into something negative, but that there comes a positive change in people's hearts, in their thinking, and in their understanding of their neighbor. We just need to forgive each other. And I hope that's what comes out of all this. I hope that her life and what has transpired changes people's hearts. Um, I mean... Real powerful stuff just a couple days after his own daughter died. And we saw, we've seen things like this in the past, like the people in the church uh, in, in, um, in, Char- in uh, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, just a couple years, and their response uh, to, the, to the man who shot many people in the church, a similar sort of reaction afterwards. And it might be simplistic, yes, to forgive so soon, but um, I mean, here is a man of faith who wants to see people's hearts changed and not just their behavior. And many uh, do know no better and do not understand because their hearts are hardened. And yet I hold out hope because I know that my Lord has preserved a remnant. Uh, And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Uh, And this not only includes Israel, it includes all of Western sort of Judeo-Christian society. If we want to see forgiveness as Mark uh, Hare talks about here, we must share the good news that God has forgiven the unforgivable in Jesus Christ. And you and I, as Mark said, are chief among them. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.